So I'm going to be your pastor slash teacher slash professor slash coach all in one today. Let's do it. Because we're going to need a little bit of all of this. Genesis chapter 27, verse 38. Listen to this. I'm reading a part of a story here. Esau said to his father, do you only have one blessing? That'll preach right there. (laughs) Do, Do you only have one blessing? Then Esau wept, wept aloud. Oh, y'all don't know how important this is. This is a hunter. This is a man that just came from a field killing animals. And he's coming back in front of his daddy and is weeping. He's probably cut himself before and he didn't cry. He may have been bit by an animal before and probably didn't cry. But there's a place down in your soul that a painkiller can't reach. <laughs> what made this man weep? His father answered, Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richest richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you go, when you not go, just the word y'all, when you grow restless. I'm, I'm preaching my sermon already, Terry up. Because some restlessness comes with growth. (laughs) That's why you're restless now in some areas you didn't used to be restless in. Because you grew into restlessness. Come here, talk to me. Right? That's why a spiritual diet that served you well in one season might not serve you well in another season. Because you grew into restlessness. It says when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. In other words, the yoke is going to stay on there as long as you don't become restless. And Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing that his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. You know what he's saying? My dad is going to die soon. And when he dies, I'm killing Jacob. I want to talk from this subject in our time together today. Two words, everybody. Uh, I need my electronic evangelist who helped me preach because some people are visual learners, right? They're auditory learners. Some people, are, so people, some people feel, some people see, some people hear. So I want you to put this in the chat. Stop tweaking. <laughs> stop, stop, stop tweaking. Put it in chat. Stop tweaking. Stop tweaking. Stop, stop tweaking. Stop tweaking. For those of you right now who are unfamiliar with the sentiments of my subject, stop tweaking. Allow me to explain what I mean. Let me, let me elucidate. Let me make clear what I mean when I use the adjective tweaking. According to the academic urban dictionary, <laughs> tweaking <laughs> refers to bugging, tripping, acting unintelligently, irrationally, and illogically. So when someone is acting in a way that is unwise and they're acting unseemingly, one would say to them, stop tweaking. You're smarter than this. 
you're more clear than this. Oftentimes, when this word is used, it's used to describe those who are acting this way as a result of some type of intoxication. Listen to me, wherever there's tweaking, there's intoxication. Wherever there's tweaking, there's intoxication. Wherever there's tweaking, there's intoxication. Now, when we hear the word intoxication, many of us assume some sort of substance, like alcohol, like some drug. And although these may be common culprits when it comes to intoxication, they are not the only kind of intoxicating substance. Sometimes we are intoxicated, not from what we put in us from the outside, but sometimes we are intoxicated by what's going on on the inside. We can be intoxicated by our emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our emotions can cause us to act illogically, unwisely, and irrationally. We, we, we can be intoxicated by our ego. Where we act impulsively without proper consideration for the consequences of what we might do or what we might say. But our text today exposes us to a different kind of intoxication. It's an intoxication that's often overlooked, but it is extremely important. The text today teaches us the importance of dealing with the intoxicating impact of unaddressed offense. Offense has you high. Offense has you drunk. Offense has you tweaking. Offense has you behaving in ways that are irrational and unseemingly and unaddressed. Offense, listen to me guys, evokes attitudes and activity that can cause us to block our own blessings. Unaddressed offense can blind us to the sum total of a person's contribution to our life because we are so upset with what they haven't done that we forget all the things they have done. And our text today is tailored to teach us that offense, when it's unaddressed, is a dream killer. <laughs> Darius, how is unaddressed offense a dream killer? Make that make sense to me. Here it is. Unaddressed offense causes us to obsess about our enemies and not our assignment. Did you hear what I just said? I said unaddressed offense is a dream killer because it causes us to obsess with our enemies and not our assignment. So the fuel for someone's future is a motivation to punish others or to prove to others that they can do something that somebody else said they couldn't do. So instead of living a life that's chasing purpose, they're living a life trying to prove something. 
something or punish someone because unaddressed offense is a dream killer. And there are too many people that are not walking in their purpose because they're too busy trying to prove to others that they're worthy of it. Some people, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing about offense. Can I, can I, can I, just, can I just work this for a minute, okay? Here's the thing about offense. John Bevere calls offense the bait of Satan. The bait of Satan. And I don't, I don't know how much you know about fishing, but, but, but there are times when people fish, they use bait. And so we used to be missing, we used to use uh, worms and, and, and you would put the worm on the hook and you would throw the hook in the water, right? And you would simulate, watch this, with the rod, you would simulate the moving of a worm, which would cause a fish to think the worm's alive. And in an attempt for the fish to actually get the worm, the fish gets hooked. And so in an attempt to kill one thing, come on, in an attempt to eat something, it gets eaten itself because it's hooked. And Satan has hooks, but his hooks aren't obvious. He hides the hooks. Did you hear what I just said? Everybody, listen to me, everybody that needs to experience freedom nine times out of ten got in bondage not because they said yes to bondage. They didn't say yes to a hook. They said yes to a worm. <laughs> they, y'all not talking to me. They said, <laughs> they, 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 they said yes to a night. They said yes to a relationship. They said yes to an experiment. They said yes, and they didn't realize that Satan has his hook. Good God Almighty. And this is why we need to talk about this a little bit more. This is why you cannot afford to live your life absent of not the spiritual gift, but the skill of discernment, which is the wisdom to recognize a pattern. I'm not talking about the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits. I'm talking about the skill to recognize a pattern, to say every time this happened, this happened. I need to stop. To, to, to recognize a pattern, discernment, that this could potentially lead to that. Because Satan hides his hooks. And one of the places he hides his hooks is a fence. Can I park here for a minute now? I said, we're just, we just reflecting today, right? Okay. When I say offense, some people think anger. And that's why they assume this message is not for them. But you can be offended and not be mad. Did you hear what I just said? Like, have you ever stopped fooling with somebody and you weren't even mad about it? But something happened, right, to cause you to make a shift in that relationship. It just means you weren't emotionally invested enough for it to impact you in a way where it evoked anger. It was like when I lost them, I didn't really lose much because every loss is not a loss. Some, some of you need to hear what I just, somebody put that in the chat for me. Every loss is not a loss. Some of you are calling stuff a loss in this season. You're going to be calling it a blessing in another season. See, I got that revelation a long time ago. I got, see, I, I say this in relation to intelligence. Everybody in your life is equally valuable. A, a Wall Street, 
off the street, equally valued. But everybody don't add equal value to you. Every loss, but 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 sometimes a loss happens, and you're like, I wasn't really emotionally invested in this. So the emotional ramifications aren't that deep. But you still were offended. You just weren't angry. <laughs> because offense is love's response to injustice. <laughs> yeah. So when a person says to me, I'm unoffendable, I will say to them, you are unloving. Because love requires vulnerability. Love, love, when you choose to love, you choose to be vulnerable. When you choose the pleasure of love, you also choose the possibility of pain. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? I said when you choose the pleasure of love, you also choose the possibility of pain because the pleasure of love requires vulnerability. It requires you extending yourself emotionally to a person in a way that you would not extraordinarily extend yourself to, which means you are giving to them the power to impact you emotionally. When you give love, you also are giving away power. Are y'all are y'all here? This, yeah, I, 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 this, <laughs> this is seen in the life and in the ministry of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave. And Jesus, Jesus' love for us caused him to allow himself to be placed in a vulnerable position on the cross. Because it was not nails that kept him there. It was love. So when someone says, I'm unoffendable, I'm saying you're unlovable or unloving because offense is love's response to injustice. When I've invested in you and treated you right and love you well, and watch this, there isn't a reciprocation, not in practice, but in principle. See, when there's reciprocation, it's not practice. It, mean, it means that they don't have to do the same thing for you. You do for them. But in principle, if I'm making a five-talent investment, I want a five-talent return. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, so, so when you treat people right, come on now. When, when you treat people right and, and, and when you could kill them, but like metaphorically, but let them live. And then they leave and they go out talking and killing you. Even if you don't want the relationship, you feel like I've been handled unjustly. Well, I've invested. Let, 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 let me pause and let me talk. Let me see if some people in the chat will be honest enough to admit that you feel something when you don't feel reciprocation. You may not say anything, but you feel it. Husband, you feel it. Wife, you feel it. Friend, you feel at some point you stop and you say, now I come to all this stuff. 
come to all that stuff, they never come to mind. And this is what happens. That offense can become a hook because depending on where a fish is hooked, that determines what a fish feels. Some, some, some fish, they're hooked and they don't even know they're hooked. They just feel themselves being pulled because depending on where the hook lands, that determines whether or not they'll feel pain. And some of you are being pulled and you don't know it because you don't feel pain. You don't know you are being pulled in trying to prove you can do it without them. You, you, don't, you don't even know that's what's pulling you because you don't feel the pain. You, 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 you don't know. You don't know that you're being pulled by trying to make him or her regret that they ever left you. You, you don't know you're being pulled by that. Y'all aren't talking to me. You, 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 you know. <laughs> because depending on where the fish is hooked, that determines what the fish feels. And so many of us are being pulled. And we don't know it because we don't feel pain. You can't treat, you can't, you can't give your life to something or to someone and be faithful and committed and generous and vulnerable and they disregard your feelings. They have no sense of empathy for what's happening for you on the inside and you not be impacted in some way. But pride makes it difficult to perceive you've been hooked. So we hooked with our eyes closed. <laughs> Assuming that our ignoring of it dismisses the existence of it. And some people are not experiencing or accomplishing their dreams because they've been hooked by unaddressed offense. Because you're imperfect, it's impossible to live a life where you don't get hooked. The difference is whether or not you choose to stay hooked. Once you recognize you've been hooked, it's important to take some steps to free yourself so that you don't end up going in a direction that is consistent with the direction of Esau. We got to address the offense because if we don't address the offense, unaddressed offense kills the dream. Yes. Darius, what do you mean? A man named Esau is an example of what I'm articulating. Esau, and there's so much in this, I don't even have time to unpack this. Esau is born into a family that has destiny but it's highly dysfunctional. Like Esau and Isaac and Jacob's narrative reveals to us that religion does not automatically remove dysfunction. Yeah. 
I don't care if your daddy was a Sunday school teacher. I, I, I don't care. I don't care if y'all go back 12 generations. This text teaches us that the religion in a home does not automatically remove the dysfunction. Because you, you have here what I call a generational pattern. Now, some people call it a curse. I don't use that language, but it is a pattern. Unconscious behavior that is either taught or caught. That's dysfunctional, but it's so normal that it's not seen as dysfunctional. So something, right? See, dysfunctional doesn't mean non-functional. It just means it's malfunctioning. That, it, that it's not functioning the way it intended. And so because it's not, because it's not non-functioning, people assume it's functional. So what's, what's this pattern you're talking about? So you have a pattern with Abraham who has two sons. And so he demonstrates, I don't know if y'all can handle where I'm getting ready to go, but he demonstrates very blatantly that he has greater affection for one than the other. Now, I'm not going to bother this. I'm going to throw this out. <laughs> I'm <gonna> th- <laughs> Never mind. We're not there yet. Maybe next year I can go there with y'all. <laughs> Here it is. Here it is. Now, watch this. I can't judge what he feels. Because sometimes the attachment isn't about love. It's about interest. It's about the... Uh, <sighs> You got me? Okay, so sometimes it's not greater love, it's similar interests. And the similar interests make it easier for connection. So it takes intentionality though, because love, I love, are y'all okay with this? Yeah, see, because it's easy to have intimacy with people with whom you have common interests. But love says, I am, I am gonna value my relationship with you so much that I'm gonna try to find some interest in what you're interested in because I'm interested in you even though I'm not interested in that. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's what love does. That's what love does. Love makes a father who has a daughter say, I don't even really understand a lot of what's going on with you, but I'm going to sit right here and let you explain it to me because I'm interested in you. I'm not, I'm not interested in the doll, but I'm interested in you. So I'm going to play with it. Are y'all okay? So Abraham didn't manage it that way. He was very clear. Isaac is my real son. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ishmael, Ishmael, I love you. And I'm going to send you these payments each month. Is this, are, y'all, are y'all okay? But Isaac, my real son. It's blatant. But this is the father of the faith. This is the one who God said, I'm going to make your name great. God said, I'm going to shift your name from Abram to Abraham. Got me here? All right. So what happens? Isaac is the recipient of a parental pattern of blatant favoritism. So what does he do when he had two sons? The same thing. It's a generational pattern. So you have Esau and Jacob. I'm not even going to bother. I don't have time. But Jacob, when he has 12 sons, does the same thing and favors Joseph. 
somebody put some fire in this chat if you understand where I'm going. Listen. There's this pattern. And I don't think it was ever consciously taught. It was just caught. So they're being pulled in. <laughs> they're being pulled in a direction they don't even know they hooked. They're doing it. They don't even know they're doing it. Watch this, guys. Isaac favored Esau. So Jacob leaned into his mother. Esau was technically the oldest, which meant there were certain things he was entitled to as it relate to what the father would bequeath to him, what he would inherit. The birth order determined in this context who got what. Okay? So, are y'all okay? <laughs> the birth order determined who got what. All right. So, Isaac's wife, <laughs> Rebecca, is dealing with a generational spousal pattern. Because she's the victim of, of being married to a man who comes from a man who are good men, but don't know how to properly cover their wife. Because when Abraham went to Gerar, he said, you pretty, these men are going to want you, so they're going to kill me to get you. So when people say, who are you, tell them you're my sister. Now, see, I got to die. Right then? Come on. Yeah, it is well with my soul right then. He literally let Sarah go. Sarah is in the bedchamber of Abimelech. And God has to speak to Abimelech and say, you got your hands on a taken woman. See, the text never tells us what Sarah's got to be thinking. I'm not going to bother. I'm not going to she, she got to be thinking. I'm not saying she mad. You got, yeah. I'm not saying she mad, but she's been handled unjustly. So, so there's got to be a little offense there. So Isaac gets married to a woman named Rebecca. Now I'm not gonna bother this, but his daddy gave the ser his daddy gave Abraham gave his servant instruction on where to go find a wife for Isaac. Now I'm not I'm not even gonna bother that because uh, it's culturally appropriate. But we can't ask some questions about the qualifications of Abraham to be able to make that decision. Okay, so they get Rebecca. So Isaac is married to Rebekah. The Bible says they get to Gerar. And Isaac says to Rebekah, if anybody asks you, say you my sister. So you see, watch this. When he gets to the same place physically, he responds the way his father does. But him getting to the same place physically can be us getting to the same place emotionally. Gerard represents a trigger. 
Because some stuff is in you and doesn't come out of you until you get to your Gerard. Everybody's got a Gerard. And that Gerard will expose some things on the inside of you that you didn't know were there. So there's this pattern. So Rebecca now, are y'all okay? Realizes there's limited vulnerability that I can have with, with my husband. So are y'all okay? Because I'm, we all in there today. Okay, so I'm not gonna leave, but I'm a limit. I'm not leaving. I'm, I'm gonna be here, but I'm limited. I'm limiting what I'm gonna give you, and I'm gonna limit it in a way where you don't even know. You don't even know you don't have me the way you used to. I'm doing all the stuff I used to do and you don't even know I took my heart out of it. Because you just proved to me I can't trust you with it. Somebody's like, somebody just put in the chat, are they talking about this in church? I can, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Listen to this. She probably didn't leave, but she said, I got, the, I got the limit. Ain't going nowhere right now, but yeah. Yeah, you're saying I'm your, I'm your sister? And you want me to just, just be all with you? <laughs> I'm not going to leave, but I, I limit. And some of you right now, you, you know what I'm talking about because you're limiting right now. And I'm not judging your limiting. I'm just connecting your experience to the experience of some people in scripture. I'm trying to, I'm not even, I feel like you need to deal with it, but I'm trying to normalize it for you without judging it. And this is why I'm, I'm painting this picture of people in the Bible. Because if the pictures of people in the Bible aren't painted this way, you'll start treating them like demigods and that's not why the Bible is written. The Bible says written for your learning. The Bible says we follow after those who through faith and, faith and patience inherited the promises. They're supposed to be our example. We're supposed to learn some things from them of what we ought to do and what we shouldn't do. Let me wrap this up. Y'all tired of me. Here it is. The, 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 Bible, the, the Bible says now, okay, so Rebecca's dealing with this abandonment. So now she medicates that pain by unhealthy attachment to Jacob, her son. Your daddy all. <laughs> so, so, so instead of, instead of nurturing Jacob, I need Jacob. So, so, so instead of, instead of, instead of raising him, instead, instead of correcting him when he needs to be corrected, I'm coddling him. Cause I don't need no more rejection. I got enough from the one I'm married to. So I'm going to say yes to you, Jacob, when I should say no. I'm going to let stuff slide that I should address. Because I'm trying to medicate. I'm trying to use you as medication to anesthetize the pain that I'm feeling from what's happening with Isaac. So Jacob's deceptive ways grew and snowballed. Right? To the point where there's a whole lot in this because he, he, he 
took advantage of Esau. But this is what happened. This is why Esau got so mad. His daddy gets old. Isaac gets old. He's old and he's blind. So So Jacob and his mother come together and say, all right, daddy blind. I know Esau is the firstborn, but he don't need to get what the firstborn get. So I want you to act like you Esau because your dad's not going to know the difference. And I want you to go before him and let your daddy confer that blessing that's reserved for the firstborn on you. So Esau is out hunting because him and his father had similar interests there. He comes back, right? Attempting to give his father some food so he can get the blessing. This is what happens, guys. When Esau returns from, when Esau's gone, Jacob has acted like he's Esau. Isaac has conferred the blessing thinking he's Esau and Jacob is gone. When Esau gets back, Jacob isn't present. God arranged for Jacob to be gone, to be absent when Esau was present. Because what do you think Esau would have done if he would have got there when Jacob was there? I'm telling you there are some things God meant for you to miss. Did you hear what I just said? I said there are some things God meant for you to miss because he knew you're not in the right emotional place to manage this right now. With the emotional state that you're in, if I don't allow you to miss this, you're going to kill it. (sighs) Did you hear what I just said? You're going to kill the opportunity. You're going to kill the door. You're going to kill the blessing. So I I meant for you to miss it because your mind wasn't right. I want, I want somebody in the studio. I know this is not the kind of message today, but we're going to insert this and inject some enthusiasm right here. I want somebody in the chat to drop some fire and somebody in the studio to give God praise for what you missed. Some people, I, some, some people won't miss. God says, no, no, no. I, I, I need you to miss this. Because I'm going to show you when Jacob and Esau reconnect later, Esau's in a different state of mind. Say some, some stuff God meant for you to miss. So when Esau gets, to, gets back to Isaac, he walks up to Isaac, gives him some food. And Isaac say, I'm, I'm full. What you mean? You just gave me some food. And Isaac says in Genesis 27, verse 32, his father Isaac asks him, who are you? I'm your son. He answered, you're firstborn. What do you do when the one you love can't see you? (laughs) 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 What what do you do? I mean, mean, Isaac, I I respect you and I love you. And I think you love me. But you can't, you don't know who I am. I know you're blind, but you, you couldn't tell the difference. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, come on. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait. Come on now. Come on. You, you don't know the difference in my voice. Yeah. 
Was there no difference in our odor? Did you, did, did you, did you not like, you, you, you don't see. This means you didn't see me when you could see me. What do you do when your Isaac can't see you? What do you do, David? When, you're, when Jesse, your father, don't even think enough of you to call you to be considered to be a king. See, because here's the thing. And this is the way I want people to feel under my leadership. When you feel seen, you feel loved. <laughs> did you hear what I just said? Yeah, you, we, we need, <laughs> did you hear what I just said? When you feel seen, you feel loved. That somebody sees something in me I don't even see in myself. What, what, what do you do, Isaac? What do you do, Esau? When the one you love can't see you. And I want to tell you this, guys. Some of us are offended with people who just blind. <laughs> Let me get to my point. <laughs> I said some of us are offended with, they just blind. They just blind. And blindness a lot of times is a symptom, um, is, is a symptom, not the sickness, right? So there's something else that's causing their blindness. Their pride got them blind. Their low self-esteem got them blind. Their hurt got them blind. Their paranoias got them blind. Their competitiveness got them blind. Their jealousy got them blind. Some people can't see you because they can't see. They blind. So, so I just say, well, uh, no, I just, I just blessed you. Who, who was that that I just gave the blessing to? Oh my God, that must have been Jacob. And Esau says in Genesis 27, 36, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This the second, which means trickster. This is the second time he's taking advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taking my blessing. Now I'm not going to bother this, but Esau didn't correctly characterize the taking of the birthright. Jacob didn't take it. Esau gave it. Now he took advantage of you. But when you're in offense, it'll blind you to your own contribution to your calamity. You'll just see what Jacob did, not what you did. It's not now. Esau, come on now. Let's retell that story. You came in. You were hungry. You were famished. And Jacob had some food. And you allowed your appetite to cause you to exchange your birthright. Did you hear what I just said? He said, you allowed your appetite to cause you to exchange your birthright. So the problem wasn't Jacob. The problem was you mismanaging your appetite because you don't know how to handle yourself when you're hungry. <laughs> I'm not going to bother this. I'm not <laughs> you don't know how to handle yourself because most of us got hooked because we were hungry. Y'all not talking to me. I need anybody that knows anything about fishing to talk back to me. Because there are sometimes you can have the right bait and you can be in the right pond, but the fish not biting. And they not biting because they not hungry. Because I can't get hooked if I'm not hungry. And, and Esau didn't know how to handle when he was hungry. 
so he didn't characterize it. But he had the right to be offended at the second one. And so Esau asked Isaac, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? We read it together. We read it together. He said, Dad, do you only have one blessing? You gave it away. Bless me too. I got nothing. And the Bible says this, this man wept aloud. He cried. Not internally, externally. He's so mad, he's sad. Have you ever been so mad? You got sad. He's so mad, he's sad. He weeps aloud, and Isaac can sense what's happening with him. And notice what Isaac says he sees the offense. He sees the anger. And so he speaks over Esau what's going to happen to him as a result of him not being able to handle his appetite. You see, his appetite also shows up in the degree of his offense. He said, you do everything this way. <laughs> so when you're hungry, you're hungry. When you happy, you happy. But when you mad, you mad. He says, you're just, you're driven that way. And he says, this is what's going to happen to you, son. He says, you, your dwelling will be, will be away from the earth's richness. He says, this unaddressed offense is going to keep you far away from assets that you need. So you're not going to be in a part of the earth that's agriculturally rich. You're going to be in dry land, desert land, where it's harder to get what you need. Because your offense is going to put you in a position where you don't have access to richness. Richness in relationships. Richness in resources. Then he says this. He says, you're going to be away from the dew of heaven above. Because you see dew on grass, not on dirt. Then he says this. He says, you're going to live by the sword. That your life is going to be characterized by violence. And for us, let's say if it's not physical violence, conflict. Since this offense is going to have you, you're going to have conflict everywhere you go. And then he says this, and you're going to serve your brother. Now, this is really weird because when you read out their narrative and their story, Esau never really served Jacob like a slave. But this is what he meant here. He says, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Okay, this is what he's saying. What, what, what be unequally yoked, right? So he's like, you know, that apparatus, you got ox on one side, ox on another side, and they're both 
yoked together. So when Paul says, uh, don't be unequally yoked, he's saying, don't have an ox on this side and a donkey on the other side because their nature and temperament is different. So when it's time to pull, the ox is going to want to pull, but the donkey is going to pull only based on his mood. So he says, he says to Esau, Jacob got a yoke around you. Your unaddressed offense has you yoked to him. You in different parts of the land, but you're still yoked to him. You ain't talked to him in years, Esau, but you're still yoked to him. You don't even know what's going on in his family, Esau, but you're yoked to him. And listen to me. He says, you're going to serve him because as long as you're yoked to him, he has control over you. Don't miss this. I'm done, guys. Here it is. Y'all tired. Here it is. He says, when you grow restless, you will throw the yoke, his yoke, off your neck. Meaning, it's going to stay there until you grow to the place where you can no longer live carrying the yoke of that offense. He says it's not just going to fall off. You got to throw it off. And you throw it off by finding the hook and freeing yourself from that hook of offense. Listen to me. It's like uh, Isaac is saying, Jacob is taking up, Esau, Jacob is taking up mental real estate that you need for your future. He's occupying mental real estate that you need to be given to your dreams. Because you can't be yoked to Jacob and your dreams at the same time. I want somebody to put in this chat, get off my neck. Lord, I need you to show me every area, even where I'm not mad. But if offense still has me yoked to somebody, get that off my neck. Because I don't even want them taking up mental real estate. I don't want to live my life trying to prove to them that I can do something or be someone or carry out something. I want to live a purpose-driven life. I want to live a life chasing my assignment, not being driven by offense. Now, I know this is what some of you are wondering. You're wondering, Pastor Darius, how do I do this? I need you to get really practical with me now. How do I get this yoke? off my neck. I'm going to give you four steps really quickly. Here they are. Four things I see in this text that if we apply in our lives, it sets us free. The first thing is reframing. Somebody put in the, in the text, reframe, in the chat, reframe, reframe. See, offense begins with something that happens to us. But offense continues because of the story we tell ourselves. So something happens, then I interpret what that means. 
And my interpretation of that meaning drives the story that I tell myself. And the story that I tell myself, they, they did, so it's like, they did that to me. They didn't care about me. They weren't thinking about me. They was just using me. They was just stealing from me the whole time they did it. Three years ago, they didn't mean it. Three years ago, when they told me they loved me, they didn't mean it then. So what happens is this, you start telling yourself a story, and the story keeps driving offense deeper and deeper into our heart. But reframing is this, is saying, okay, the picture is the picture. What they did is what they did. And I can't control that, but I control, I can't control the frame I put around it. What does that mean? I can't, I can't control what happened, but I can't control the story I tell myself about it. Because that's the framing. That's how you frame it. So I can say this happened to me, or I can reframe and say this happened for me. I can say, this is rejection. Reframe says, God's protection. Reframing. When Jacob was in the pit, Joseph was in the pit. He's like, y'all trying to kill me. Then he gets to the end of his life. It's chapter 42. He's like, uh, you meant it for evil. God meant it. Reframed. Like, oh my God. They stabbed me in the back. But that pain was a revelation that you needed to make an exit that was long overdue. Reframe. <laughs> oh, these people did not love me well, love me right. But now I'm in a season where I know how to appreciate those that do. Reframe. And this is a story you must tell yourself and if you could get this this will help you so much in spiritual warfare because a lot of spiritual warfare is mental right that's the that's that's the spiritual ground and so when you feel jealousy you got to reframe that because that's the one thing nobody meant they feel but when you feel that you got to re reframe that when you feel competitive you got to reframe you got to put this up what god has for me is for me what he does for them in no way takes away what he wants to do for me did you hear what I just said? What he does from, for them in no way takes away from what he wants to do for me. Reframing. Reframe. Number two, release. What does this mean? This means forgiveness, guys. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. It's a grace gift. It's a gift you give yourself, not because you like them, but because you love you. It's you recognizing, it's a pardon. It's you recognizing that what you have done to me has created a debt you can never repay. I don't care how much you apologize. You can't give me the nights back I lost. You can't give me the bad days back. You can't give me the tears back. So I have to write it off as bad debt. You will never be able to pay me back. And then I go back to reframing. But the word says, when my obedience is fulfilled, God will avenge all disobedience. That because I'm obedient in responding to you the right way, God takes responsibility to fix what you broke. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah. I said, because I am obedient and responding to you the way God tells me to respond. By forgiving you, God now obligates himself to fix in me what you broke. He said, when my obedience is fulfilled, he will avenge all disobedience. 
This is why we say forgiveness is the first step to healing because God does the healing. But it is his intervention is triggered by our obedience. He says, because when you won't forgive, you become, you put yourself in a position where you need the same mercy or you deserve the same judgment you want me to extend to, toward them. Here's number three. You got to remember. Remember what, guys? Your own contribution to some of your calamity. Now, Jacob took, Jacob took it that, sec, that second time, Esau, but that first time, you gave it to him. On that. <laughs> Own your part in that. Own your part in that. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. No, no one in any relationship. You don't want to limit your love and limit your vulnerability. You don't want a partner to do that to you. Yet at the same time, if there's some things that you have done that have contributed to that person not feeling safe, you got to own that part. You got to own that part. Say, I don't want you to be here, but I own the role I play in putting you here. I'm done and I'm out of here. You, you got to reframe. You got to release. You got to remember. And last but not least, this is a prophetic act, guys. And this, it just sounds churchy, but it is a prophetic act. You got to rejoice. Listen to me now. What do you... Jacob goes through a lot in his life. And he and his family are traveling and he gets word. Now, this is years. They both grown now. They both got families. Jacob and he. And he gets word that Esau is coming his way with a whole bunch of people. Jacob's, <laughs> Jacob tells his family, listen, I don't know what's about to happen here. I don't know what's to happen, about to happen. He said, so y'all stay here. I'm going to go and meet Esau and whatever happened to me happened to me. So he goes, he stays the night and has a dream, whatever. He wakes up, guys, and Esau, him and Esau meet each other. He's expecting Esau to kill him, to be hostile. And I'm paraphrasing. Esau basically, look around, man. I'm too blessed to be upset. That when that happened to me, I thought that meant something for my future that it didn't mean. When you took the, when you took that from me, I never thought I would have all of this. When you took that from me, I never thought I'd be walking in this. When you took that from me, I never thought I'd have the family like this. When you took that from me, I never thought I'd be the leader that I am like this. But now that I see the story I was telling myself then, is it the reality that I'm living in now? And I want to talk to somebody. You hadn't got to this latter part of the story, but I want you to rejoice in your offense. I want you to rejoice in your pain because God's going to take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for your good it's a prophetic act that it will not be the way you thought it would God Almighty that it will not stop what you think is going to stop that it will not destroy what you think is going to destroy
God's got a way of turning it around. So I want to pray for some of you. And I want to pray that God, I want to pray that God would do two things, right? The first thing I'm going to pray for is for divine intervention. And uh, some of us would call that a miracle. I still, I believe in those. Um, the sun is one. Evaporation is one. The construction of my body is one. I still believe in those. And a miracle is when God lets you skip steps. <laughs> I'm going to pray for some of that for some of you. And I believe for some of you, God's going to respond to that prayer. And for others, God's going to respond by giving you a grace to walk through the process. To walk through these four R's that I just gave you. And as you, by faith, work this biblical process, you'll see the divine intervention of God. It doesn't mean what you think it means. Stop tweaking. Your life is not destroyed. Even if you feel like it's destroyed now, this is what the book says. He redeems my life from destruction. That even when everything is falling apart, he knows how to put the pieces of my life back together again. And so I want to pray for you. Because you, you, be, you could be free. Um, I feel like I need to share this real quick. Some of you need to hear it. One of the greatest books I've read over the past couple of years was a book by um, John Mark Comer. It's called The Relentless, uh, what is it? It's The Relentless Pursuit of Hurry. Um, something along those lines. But he writes this book, I read it a few years ago. And um, one of the things he talks about is this. He said, everywhere Jesus went, he walked, he never ran. And he talks about pace and identity and resting in him. And um, how we can be driven by things. And like culture is celebrating our drivenness. But the thing that's driving us is killing us on the inside. And so I need to I need to pause and I just want you to reflect and ask, is the right thing driving you? Now, many people who, who are hearing this, you know, like, Darius, what are you talking about? I'm winning. My question is, really? I'm not saying you're not, but like, like, but really though, let's ask Sarah. 
Let's ask Isaac. I, I know you feel like you're winning, but let's, let's ask Sarah. She lived with you. Let's ask Isaac. He's being raised by you. And so my present God was just open. Man, open our eyes. So we can be free from this yoke. I'm telling you, there's a peace. When you are living with nothing to prove, God, I can't even. It's, it's such a peace. It's such a peace. And people are like, you need to do more of this. You need to. He's like, I'm, I'm good. I'm great. Because more of that don't give me more of this. I'm rich right here. It's a different kind of rich. And that's what God wants for his people because that is what makes Nicodemus come to us at night. That's what makes Zacchaeus climb a tree because they can't get that nowhere else. So Father, now I pray. I pray for miracles. I pray for accelerated healing, yokes destroyed, help people to skip steps in the name of Jesus. I just pray if something is, is, is driving them that is not, if they're living a driven life and they're, they're being driven by something and not led by you, I just pray that you would release them, that, that you would deliver them, that, that you would open their eyes to see that yes, you don't feel pain, but there's still a bit of offense. And, and I want to heal that. I, I pray for that now in the name of Jesus for the job that didn't work out the way people expected for the marriage that didn't work out for the way people expected for family drama and trauma I just pray now in Jesus name that you just help for, for, for the father wound from a father who wasn't there yet your people made it anyway I just for, for, for hitting the fence I just pray for eyes open and hearts healed and I pray for the grace for your people to to walk through this process, those that you choose to take on that journey, may your grace for them be sufficient. I thank you for this. Now, Father, to the best of my ability, I've shared what I feel like you put on my heart to share and shared it the way that I believe will serve your people best. Now, Holy Spirit, you take it from here and you do the work that only you could do perform heart surgery and may your people be healed may your people be delivered and may your people be set free in Jesus name may the grace of God and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit rest rule and abide hence now and forevermore may God bless you may he keep you May he cause his face of favor to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he protect you. May he provide for you. And may he grant you peace. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.